This is One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Woo-ha! Welcome to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you here on a Tuesday. Boom diggity, let's go. And uh, on the heels of a uh, Monday night football game that no one expected. A massive... Especially the person to my a left. Massive <laughs> miss by yours truly. Massive. I it is good. Thing. It's a good thing that it we're not allowed by, you know, rule of the rules of the league and our and our the company we work for. We're not allowed to bet on NFL games. I would be sitting here shirtless if I did. You would. Man, oh man, I there was no way you could convince me. That last night's game was going to happen the way it actually happened. I said it on the – and I don't know if we've got it, the, the sound. I don't think we could find it. Where I said yesterday that the Bears were not only going to get beat, they were going to get embarrassed and be an embarrassment to this league and to the good city of Chicago, and I was completely wrong. I believe – Holy I cow. believe you predicted a shutout. You, the I, Patriots I are going to win text. by as many – the Patriots were going to win by as many points as they scored. Because the right, Bears because the, were not going to score at all. You said the Bears were going to be <laughs> shut out. And the Bears were kneeling down on the on the Patriot goal line at the end to keep from putting up a 40-burger on them. I'm just going to paint What a, is going on? I'm just going to paint a picture here if I could because Steve's pontifications last far beyond the expanse of our radio program. <laughs> we have a text loop with people – you know, oh, I was doubling that down. work on this show. I was doubling down, baby. And Steve must have got a hold of a really, really good cigar because <laughs> he sends us a photo of his big screen TV that has been rolled out to his veranda. You know, it was beautiful here in Western New York yesterday. Can't smoke like out. 70, can't smoke inside, so everything's out outside. It's like seventy-four degrees here yesterday. It's going to be even warmer today. It's supposed to be seventy-eight today. Spectacular, unbelievable day. fall weather. You know, like Indian mm-hmm. summer. He, so he texts us all a photo of his large screen TV that has been rolled out onto the veranda in his backyard, and in the foreground of this photo. Is is a is a beverage of choice sitting on a table, and Steve's right hand with a stogie between his index and middle fingers, uh, lit up and the ready reason. to roll for Monday Night Football as the pontifications continue. Where he said, "There will be the the Patriots will win by as many points as they score because the Bears will be shut out." I was, and the reason that here's the thing: the reason the cigar was in my right hand was because I had to use my left hand to take the picture. Usually, right. I'm a left-handed cigar guy, but I was absolutely doubling down, tripling down. I was, and let me just say this: as you know, who've listened to the show regularly, I am not always right about such things, but I am never in <laughs> doubt. Right? <laughs> Seldom correct, but never in doubt. And that was the stance I took last night as I doubled down on my thing. And I thought, I was even formulating my response when the, the Bears got like a lucky break on a turnover. They were already in field goal range, right? Or something like that happened. And I thought, well, okay, you know, it was a fluky thing that they even were in field goal range. And man, oh man, that game, this just in, the Patriots were putrid last night. 
putrid. I think might this be the time where I kind of weigh in and say at the beginning of the year, I said the Patriots are a good are likely to finish last in this okay, division. Wait, let's, all right, it's one thing to pile on me for being wrong. Let's not <laughs> let's not pump your tires just yet. I'm not getting. All right, you you can throw you can lob that out there, but we're not gonna we're not gonna take that on until we get a little deeper into the season. Okay, Brownie says he said that the pay. <laughs> he says he said, said I said he says he what? said that the Patriots are gonna finish last in the division. So and today, uh, let me today, check. Let me check. They my have notes. no quarterback. <laughs> let me check this my notes. This just in: they have no quarterback. The New England Patriots are one game behind Miami, indeed, uh, for the fourth spot to to achieve this fourth they spot in the division. They for are a plummeting. They are last in the in the uh, division, and their strength of schedule, their strength of victory wins. The Patriots are point two five. Oh, so their wins have been against the most putrid of opponents. Oh, they have. Absolutely, they have. And they're <laughs> yeah. – Yeah, let me, let me share, Steve. Yeah. I, I'm strength happy. of schedule wins, strength of victory wins were .250. They're... So far, <laughs> the New England Patriots, in their three victories, have beaten, in order, the Steelers – the Lions, and the Browns. <laughs> Those are their three wins. Oh, man. They are plummeting to the basement of the AFC East. And let it me say happening. this. We are watching it in all its spectacular splendor. Not only this, the Patriots are sitting there with the, per, per, the situation they have at quarterback with starting, starting Mac Jones last night, benching him, to bring in Bailey Zappi, who came in, and while he, you know, he sparked him to a lead, they got a couple of touchdowns and got him back to a 14-10 lead. The fans were going crazy. It's all going to happen for him now. He comes in and proceeds to light it all on fire. So today they are sitting in what looks like a dumpster fire of a franchise right now. I mean, they – Zappi comes in, and they – you know, the Bears blow a coverage early. Zappi hits them for the touchdown. Okay, now they're off and running. It's going to happen, you know. Every No. It went belly up quick for Bailey Zappi last night. Faster than a goldfish that you get at a carnival. Yeah. Um. They were swe- – they didn't even swim with one gill out of the out of the water. They were they were upside down. It was ugly. He threw a couple of interceptions that were pretty bad, and the Bears I just, tuned them up. Man. I am the here. Bears just tuned them up. I'm just letting you know, Steve. I am here <laughs> for, all, for of all of it. All of it. I I've got hot sauce, gasoline. <laughs> nitroglycerin, and a whatever tor- we and need a to throw on top of what we just watched last night, I am here to provide it by the truckload. You need a gross of nitroglycerin or kerosene to throw on the tire fire that is the Patriots. I am here to provide it. I don't care what it costs and because I'll... the Patriot fans deserve Every single second 
of what they witnessed last night, and they need it for another 11 weeks this year. Yeah, they they are not looking. They're not even trending right right now. Because, you know, we've, we've seen it before where the Patriots start out and they'll be two and three or three yeah, and, and two turn it or two and two. And then they start to grow, and they, you know, they st- they are they are trending uh, south in a big fat way right yeah. now. I think Patriot fans last night, maybe for the first time ever, came to the stark realization that their team might suck. Well, it's it's not definitive. Been, it's certainly been out. It, it's certainly been first time maybe in the Bill Belichick era. Yeah. It's not definitive, but they might suck. They might the, be bad. The Patriots may suck. They might be bad. And that was, and in, their think, own, that was in their own building last night, which yes. to me is, is unfathomable. And I think Patriot fans took that reality like a steel toe boot to the teeth. Yeah, that hurt. I, I mean, think it hurts. Yeah. I mean, it's just they're, they're, they're waking up today saying, oh, my gosh, that wasn't a dream. It wasn't a nightmare. It's our reality. Yeah. And it's funny, too, because Bill's fans were going back and getting receipts. Uh, <laughs> oh, were they? Were, there were, the, there were the, uh, the tweeters out there from the Patriots Nation who were saying in, in August of this year, when, it was, when Bill Belichick had come out and said Mac Jones had significantly improved. Over the offseason. Dramat- dramatically was the word he used. Yes. Bill Belichick used the word dramatically improved when referring to Mac Jones at this early in this preseason. Yeah. Dramatically. So Bill's so Patriots Nation was putting out there that Mac Jones was going to have a better year than Josh Allen this year. And they they, they t- actually hit the send button on the, that tweet. <laughs> the problem was Bill Belichick did not dramatically improve his coaching staff. Coaching yeah. matters. It does. And when you just and look, this is this is nothing against Matt Patricia or Joe Judge, but I think Bill Belichick took for granted what Josh McDaniels was as an offensive play caller and play designer. And he thought that he could just simply replace him with anybody who had coaching experience of any kind in football. And what he failed to recognize was this, Steve. At the end of the day, Mac Jones, who I still believe is their entrenched starter, I expect him to start next week, especially after the after Bailey Zappi got zapped. Yeah, uh, in the span of a quarter and a half. That's Thursday. They play Thursday. They got to play in two days. (laughs) Um, I'm here for all of it. I am so here for all of it. I will be, not, I will be putting on Amazon it's two hours even, before the game even starts. It's not even next week. It's like in a day or two. Yeah. Oh, it's so good. It's okay, so go. good. It, it is kind of good. Uh, it's just it's like a sweet tea on a 78-degree October day. Might have to yeah, make myself I a want, glass when I go home. I want um, half, half unsweetened, half sweet tea. So, uh, <laughs> so what I was getting at was... He thought he could just plug in any coach with experience, not on the offensive side of the ball, just professional experience in general, and be all systems go on offense. Right. It's almost as if Bill Belichick 
after having Tom Brady for 20 years, covering up all of the deficiencies that that team had, whether it was on the defensive side of the ball, coaching, uh, player losses, average players that he raised their level, whatever it was, it's almost like Bill Belichick thought he still had Brady at quarterback when what he actually has is a quarterback with very evident limitations. Arm strength, mobility. He can run around a little bit. I mean, he's not a stiff. He can run around a little bit. Um, He did last night a couple plays. But there are limitations to Mac Jones' game. Limitations where he could use a quality offensive coordinator to help cover some of those up. I don't believe that Matt Patricia or Joe Judge, whoever the hell it is, is equipped with the nuanced skills of doing that as an offensive coordinator. Can they call plays? Can they scheme things up? Sure. But do they know the nuanced nature of that job to put the quarterback in the absolute best position on every single snap and make adjustments through the course of the game to keep him in an advantageous position? I don't believe yeah. they do, and Mac Jones is suffering because of it. Yeah, and you think about what it takes to win in the league right now. And I, and I made this observation. We were gonna, I was going to save this for later in the show, but here's what in, – in basic research, which I don't like to do, but <clears throat> it gets in the way of my undoubtedness, right? So in six of the eight divisions in the NFL, six of the eight divisions in the NFL, AFC, NFC, Northeast, Southwest – Six of those eight divisions are led by a team with a quarterback who can scoot. The worst, the worst team in the league with of that caliber of that um, characterization would be Tennessee with Tannehill, and he's a former wide receiver, mm-hmm. so he can run. He knows, you know, he's an athlete. Yes, he is. All right, so you got Buffalo, of course, with Josh. He can run. Baltimore, Lamar Jackson, Tennessee, like I just mentioned, and Kansas City. That's in the AFC. Those four teams with those quarterbacks who can get out of the pocket. Make the difference. In the NFC, Philadelphia with Jalen Hurts. That guy can scoot. Minnesota is the one exception, but they're in a division with Green Bay, Chicago, and Detroit. Chicago and Detroit don't even count. And Green Bay is hot garbage right now. So, yeah, Minnesota can lead that division going 5-1 and one with a quarterback who doesn't run. Tampa Bay, Atlanta, Carolina, New Orleans, the NFC South, nobody's got a winning record. So somebody, by default, Leads that division. But that none of those quarterbacks are runners. Tampa Bay with Brady, he can't run. So there's the two. That's AFC, NFC North, NFC South are the only two divisions that don't have a quarterback that can run. And, of course, the NFC West, Seattle with Geno. Geno can run. A little bit, yeah. Not a lot, but You've yeah. got to have a guy like that. And, and Seattle and L.A. and San Francisco, those teams, Kyler Murray is the only quarterback in that division who can run. And they're just not that good. Mm-hmm. They're just not that good, but they're only a game out. That whole division is four, three, three, and four, three, and three. Uh, we should. It's, you got to have a quarterback like do. that, and New England doesn't. Mac. I mean, he did it last night, but man, oh man, it was acres and acres of green grass in front of him. You know. Yeah, it's like they were like daring him to do it. Yeah. Sometimes. Same looks, thing with Zappy. Sometimes it looks like he's running in mud. Um, Make him move but that a it, bit, it, but the yeah. league that's where the league is. That's incidentally, where the league New is right England does now. not play on Thursday. That's the Bucks and the Ravens. Mm. Um, I think you were who still channeling Tom Brady. Who was? Oh, it's Tom Brady. I think that's what you're you were channeling there. Um, my because bad. because New England may actually win 
their next three games. You want to know we why? We were talking about it. You want to yeah, know why? Drink the schedule. Jets, Colts, Jets. I'm Zach totally, Wilson, I'm about it. Sam Ellinger, Zach Wilson. Ellinger. But then it gets ugly for the Patriots. You ready? So their next three games, they may win. And suddenly they're, you know, five and four. Right. But then they have Vikings on the road, Bills, Cardinals, Raiders, Bengals, Dolphins, Bills. They may win one of those remaining seven games. I'll bet you Ellinger can beat them with the Colts. I'll bet you Ellinger, and I'll bet they split with the Jets. If Jonathan Taylor's healthy, I feel good about the Colts winning. It is in New England. I don't care. They get they. <clears throat> the Jets can split with them. I think the Jets are good enough. I I think yeah. the Jets can do it. Now they lost Brees Hall and, and Vera Tucker. We'll talk oh, about the Jets know. in a second because the there's Jets a lot are, of news going on. Yeah, down there. the Jets and they made a trade though. That's right. Right. So the Jets can split with the t- Patriots. I think that that would put them about five and five, maybe six and four if they go two and one in that stretch. But the Vikings, they got the Vikings got a chance again. I mean, yeah, yeah. That's, I and and I'll say this too: if they don't, they may have the kind of season that has them has the entire like Robert Kraft might be doing some soul searching. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? <laughs> Man, I'm thinking maybe it maybe Bill's too old. You know, maybe I shouldn't the, have gotten married. The coaching staff, the coaching staff is not there. Bill, you're gonna e- either, you know, Robert Kraft goes to Bill and says, "Listen, those guys can't do it anymore. You got to bring in, an, you got to get an offensive coordinator." Mm. And here's the thing, too: the Patriots don't like doing that because that means if they have to go outside the building and bring them in, that means they've got to reveal all the crud that they've been doing all these years that nobody knows about, mm-hmm. that only that people suspect. I mean, you got former players of Josh McDaniels when he was with Denver revealing that, yeah, they were filming other teams' practices. And they were, like, going undefeated until they got caught and had to stop, and then they couldn't win a game. I mean, that stuff like that. The Patriots don't go outside the building. That's why all these coaches leave and then come back because they're in the inner circle. The circle of trust. The circle of trust, which is growing smaller and more isolated. Yeah. Let's go to the phones uh, and see what you have to think. 803-0550-1888-550-2550. We haven't even mentioned our topic of discussion today, which is, aside from the Chiefs and the Bills, after seven weeks of the NFL season, who do you think are the contenders and who do you think are the pretenders in the NFL so far? We lead off today with one Tom in Rochester. Tom, what do you got for us? You're on One Bills Live. Oh, hold on. He's not coming up here. There we go. Tom, what do you got for us? Hey, guys. How you doing? Good. Hey, how about that great Bears game last night, Steve? I appreciate <laughs> everything you say about the Chicago Bears. Now you hammer them all the time. And I use that as a motivational uh, tape for the team. I sent it to the team. Wow. And it looks like they responded resoundingly. And especially taking a knee in New England at the end of the yeah. game. Yes. What does that say? And I also this. It. Thank you, Steve. Not only this, Tom. I mean. <laughs> not only this. Did you see this? It was so bad. 
Belichick ended the game with three timeouts in his pocket. He wasn't like trying to extend that game at <laughs> yeah, all. He, he was, was no headed clock to the showers. Just get me out of here. It was so bad last night in New England. Um, but the Bears just pounded him, and I did not see it coming. Go ahead. No, I, I, I just kid you. I mean, hey, I, I know the Bears are they're rebuilding. Youngest team in the NFL, having a tough time winning games, especially primetime games. But it was nice to see them win. It was nice to see them uh, prevent Belichick from beating George Hallis' record last night. Yeah, Tom, i got to ask oh, you this. Total win. One of the things I want to ask you about, now, it just I was looking down at my computer screen. It just reminded me of this. Did you see the quick screen pass that the Bears took in from like 25 yards out for a touchdown in the first half? Yes. Did and, you uh, see the, the? Did you think about the roughing the passer there when when Justin Fields just got sandwiched and shellacked and taken all the way down with full, no roughing the passer? What you did you see that? Yes, that was definitely uh, both defensive ends crushed him on that play. Yeah. He just barely got the ball off. He threw it kind of sideways, like a Mahomes type of throw. Yeah, he got high he load the running back, and he was gone. Yeah, I um, mean, it was I know- amazing that. The Bears would not get that call. Right. Certain teams would get that call automatically. Right. A la like when Josh Allen got tripped in Kansas City and the referee's standing right there. Why isn't that flag dropped? I mean, come on. Yeah, it's a mistake. But I'm with you. I, yeah. And even in games like that, and I'm, you know, I, like I said, I'm, I mean, I went to school in Chicago. And I, you know, and that was in 85 when around the Bears when they were oh, yeah. smoking on. So, I know how that you know that that city runs. The passion runs really deep. I mean, it's it's really deep for that for that club. But man, oh man, they have had very little reward for that over the years. I will say this: Matt Eberflus coached a nice game last night, head coach for Chicago, and uh, I heard the guys on the broadcast, Buck and Aikman, basically say that during their bye week, Eberflus basically met with each and every player on the roster and and went over like things that they're going to do to help make them better players and he said in no uncertain terms there was complete and unequivocal buy-in for that and I think one of the things that we saw more of last night from the Bears were designed runs for fields yeah he is a weapon with his legs so as he's and, learning the yeah. passing game Stick a little more of that in there. I mean, it was he critical was, last he, night in listen, keeping them on the field offensively. Justin Fields was the best offensive player in the game last night, by far. It wasn't even close. It was a little bit like Josh Allen, 2019. He's a supreme talent. He really he is. is. He is a runner, and you know he was doing some stuff where you could just see the raw talent. Made a couple of throws, and then, a la like Josh back in you know two or three, and even still now, guys are trying to make plays for him. The receivers, the tight ends going in, making tough catches, you know, gritty runs, hard runs. There's a lot of that going on last night for the Chicago Bears. So, it, it, to me, that speaks of how hard these te- this team's playing, not only for Eberflus, the head coach, but also for Fields offensively. you got guys that are really buying into it and trying to get it done. And Fields did some stuff last night on scrambles that were game savers. Yeah. Game savers. If he doesn't make the plays he makes last night, that game – doesn't go the Bears' way. That's how good he was. Yeah. That is uh, around the NFL, incidentally. Around the NFL, brought to you by Collider Health, the official health care system of the Buffalo Bills. We go back to the phones, though, and to DJ in Connecticut. What do you got for us, DJ? You're on One Bills Live. 
Hey guys, uh, thank you uh, for selecting my call. And uh, hey, I really enjoyed the uh, Bills by the Numbers podcast. You guys do a, a great job. Oh, that. thanks for that. Appreciate we'll it. Listen to when we when we can't get you on the Odyssey app. A couple of things here. Number one, uh, Steve, on the um, the Gunners, there were a couple of punts uh, before the second half. To, um, the Bills punted before the second half uh, ended, and then. Right at, I think it was the time when they received, no, no, when they kicked off after, um, I'm, I'm sorry, no, when they received, um, wait, 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 anyway, what, what, I'm, what I'm asking, and I'm screwing it all up, the Gunners seem to, the Bills Gunners seem to be held just egregiously on two or three of the hunts, and I'm no analyst or expert, but you can obviously see it, and, you know, there's one point where they're pulling the guys the Bills uh, Gunners jersey, and you can see black shoulder rats for like 10 yards. And the field Yeah, DJ, 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 I think we got the gist of what you're asking, but you're breaking up pretty bad, so I got to cut you loose here. But I think I'll have Steve answer your Here's question. Here's the thing. I, and I, I, he was uh, talking about whole excessive yeah. holding on of the, the gun, Bills gunners, gunners when they're trying to cover a punt. Right. Okay, here's, against here's what Kansas I found City out. One of, of the things I found out, uh, during my playing days, and I did this over the course of you know a few games where I would talk to the officials in like downtimes, either like before game, pregame, postgame, or between plays. Keep an eye out yeah. for this. No, I would I would say, hey, when I'm coming out, what you know, I found out what what their eyes do during a punt. When I was on them, and when I found out was, and I don't know if it's the same way now or not, but through process of elimination, I find out that the guys who watch the Gunners, they watch them for the first five yards, and then they have different responsibilities that take their eyes to someplace else on the field. So I found out that during the first five – the only time I'm being watched as a Gunner is during the first five yards of the punt cover, and then when I get down to the return guy. And they're watching him. They're not really necessary. So I'm kind of unsupervised. For like two or three seconds in between. For the 35 yards or whatever that I'm running down there. Nobody's watching you. So you can get away with a lot. So most guys would say, I'm getting held. I'm gonna... So I would turn it back on its end and do the opposite. I would say, make it impossible. For... I would cheat too. If they're going to hold me, I'm going to do stuff that's illegal too. So what I would do is surreptitiously, I wouldn't make a big deal of it, but if the guy's on my shoulder trying to push me, I just reach up with my finger, grab the hook of his face mask, and just jerk him to the ground. Nobody, <laughs> Nobody's watching. <laughs> and, of course, they get up, and they are beside themselves. Yeah, they're livid. Because I cheated, and I did. But because nobody's watching, and they're holding me anyway, I'm like, okay, let's see how it works my, on my side. And that's what you have to be ready to do. But he's right. The gunners are unsupervised for a, a, they used to be. I don't think it's this way anymore. They're unsupervised for a long stretch of the punt cover because they're, they go to the interior guys that are trying to release down the field. Right. They're trying to grab holdings and that kind of thing. Blocking and I think the, back. The, the, reason, the reasoning is they feel like a gunner's kind of out there by themselves. If something happens out there, it'll be self-evident and they'll see it out of the periphery or they'll get an idea of it or whatever. Yeah. In actuality, it used to be that you could get away with quite a bit out there, both on both as a punt cover guy and a, obviously a double as a jammer, yeah. as a jammer. Yeah. yeah. So, so I I use it to my advantage on multiple occasions. Um, you just 
and that was just because I knew the officials weren't watching because they told me their eyes weren't there, and then yeah. nobody. And I found out through process of elimination, nobody else's eyes were there either. So, so that's why the jammers, to DJ's question, were probably getting away with what they were getting away with yeah. against Saran Neal. Uh, You're right, though. You get a good guy, it's hard to get away. It's hard if they do it right. It's my. It was always my contention. No matter how good I was do it, doing it, it was my contention that if you got two guys on me, if they're doing it right, you can't beat them. You shouldn't be able to beat them. Yeah. Now, if, unless they get a guy who's you know two guys that just aren't good enough athletes, that may be something. But I never, you know, I don't know that never happened. There was always. <laughs> I never got, I never got, you know, I never, I never got the kid that was eating chips in high, you know what I mean? I always got the, you know, the, the finally, the supreme athletes. The finely tuned athletes, The finely yes. tuned guys. The that, thoroughbreds. Right. So that, you know, that, but I did wade through there. There was, a, you know, I got a long dissertation about what happened to me over the course of my career in that regard. But yeah, that's the way it happens. Uh, DJ, you're right. They cheat because they know nobody, you're the only yeah. one watching. They may not see that stuff for half of the play in which it unfolds we have to take a break here when we come back more of your phone calls though we are asking you today with the exception of the bills and the chiefs who are your contenders and pretenders in the nfl so far but your phone calls are next here on one bills live presented by collider health it's buffalo bills radio All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. We will get to your phone calls in just a minute. As you know, with Steve and myself being self-proclaimed foodies, when lunch arrives, everything stops. And that has happened it's a big here. Day. It's a big day on One Bills Live. As we I now have say. the lunch Huge break, day. which is presented by Snapdragon, the official apple of the Buffalo Bills. So we've been on Snapdragon bandwagon for a while. We've never seen, Finally, they showed today. We got a, apples Bowl and full also of apples. This, and this salad they put together, which so is this, spectacular. Yeah, so five-year-old me wouldn't, you know what I mean? Like, Oh, yeah, this, this is not. This, this is not five-year-old me. This, but today, me, I'm like all about this salad. Well, I've, Snapdragon I've really apple Brussels sprout salad. Right. It's got kale, hazelnuts, Parmesan, and apple vinaigrette. I was looking at those little nuts in there. I was like, are those like roasted chickpeas? But. They're actually hazelnuts, which I have never had in a salad before, but I was trying this. This I'll is I'll say this. I read the, I read the ingredients. We heard about the ingredients of this like a week and a half ago. They're going to come in, and I, was, I had my well, doubts. Well, Steve, <clears throat> let's, just, doubts. let's just put this out there. Kale and Brussels sprouts. Leafy greens right. are not high on Steve's list of foods but, that he actually ingests. But I'll try anything, right? So... You know, during the break, we got these salads, and I started shoveling it in. It's actually is really, really good. And yeah, the, yeah. Snapdragon and those, apples. We're all right. big fans now. So and now they actually do exist. Just to give you them. an idea, because we know in New York, Western New York especially, big. It's the second highest producing apple state in the country. I think Washington's number right. one. And people might not be familiar with like Snapdragon apple. What am I getting there? Now I know it is a cousin of your of your previous favorite apple, Honey Crisp. That's right. It's a cousin of that one, so it's got like a big time crunch, mm-hmm. really, really juicy and sweet. But the reason they call it a Snapdragon, it's got a snappy flavor. 
um, which is perfect for a salad because, you know, you want something – you want something with a little bit of texture to it. You don't just want to be eating lettuce and greens and stuff. You want something with a crunch in there. It was good. It's and the good. apple slices it's provide good. that. I'm, yeah. I, we're, yeah. We've been waiting because we've been doing the – they jumped on well, board they with don't, One Bills Live. Yeah, and they're not harvested until October. Right. And here, they, and here we finally got So them. we've been talking about these since August. I like, know. we got so back from training camp. We were talking right. Snapdragon apples. And I was like, well, where, you know, it's like, where are they? But these yeah. are available – at Wegmans and other retailers, but salads like this, like if you're not it's a salad person, right. you should try this Yes, because it's a totally different take on a salad. So if you're not a huge leafy green person like Steve, you should try one of these. This is good. Because it's an alternative because it's not, yes, there is kale in there, but you don't even taste the kale because of the sweetness of the apples and the Brussels sprouts that are thrown in as well. Br- grilled Brussels sprouts, by the well, way. Well, I'm just going like, to say, oh, man, so like, it's so 10 good. years ago, I didn't go near Brussels sprouts. It's probably the number two or number three vegetable yeah. in my rotation when I'm making dinner at home. Yeah. Like, even my kids like Brussels sprouts now yeah. Yeah. because of that. Yeah. So this is really good. good. Yeah, we appreciate it. That's great. The Snapdragon people coming through for us today. It's right. It's and pretty awesome. Yeah, the out, best too. part about I, I used to say this, the best part of – professional football is all the free stuff you get and once again i get a free salad out of this yeah you're still benefiting <laughs> i'm still i'm still cashing that lottery ticket bro still so good so thank really, you to that. Really thank you to the snapdragon people and uh we finally got it and we got a i got a i displayed the bowl of snapdragons here apples right in front they're of big us. i mean yeah they're good that's nice they're they're like almost a meal in it's themselves a, it's a big day for us here on one bills live that we got Finally, got to actually see Snapdragon apples on the set. Well, we're—I I mean, as mu- I know, you really don't say no to anything as long as it's edible. <laughs> but Steve, I really feel like we are rounding your nutritional value into form with a salad like this. So, yeah, because I know you're usually Let's see you put those apples in a, a meat and potatoes. Guy. Put them in a burrito. <laughs> well, <laughs> hey, don't put it past them. I mean, I could see them doing that. But yeah. this is this is really good stuff. So the yeah, lunch break again presented by Snapdragon, the official apple of the Buffalo Bills. And as we said, these kinds of salads, yeah, available um, at Wegmans. We've been talking today about this game. We uh, it, it was interesting last night because most of the prime time games that are standalones, like Sunday nights, Thursday night, the Thursday nights have been particularly gruesome. Uh, this one last night we thought was going to be another snooze fest. You know, ten seven game. Uh, and me, I thought the Bears wouldn't score a touchdown last night because the Patriots were on the wrong end of it in their own building, and it was the Bears. It was particularly, I think, satisfying for Bills fans who still have you know scar tissue from all the times that they've been up in that. The Bills have been up in that building. Uh, the Patriots really looked bad. Really looked. Bad. Yeah, they're not a good team. They're not. They're and not I'm playing well. I'm enjoying every single second of it. And so uh, I'm here for it. You know, the Bears stepped up hard and met the challenge i was poo-pooing the bears big time yesterday right at the end of the show i we don't even have the i don't even think we have the the sound we were going to go back and, and replay it for, for oh my, yeah your, for con- my your conviction at the end of right, the show everybody wanted it, yeah and i was totally convinced this was going to be a shutout win for the patriots and they were going to win by whatever amount of points they scored and the bears knelt down at the end of the game 
to prevent themselves from hanging a 40-burger on the Patriots last night in Foxborough. Yeah. Totally unexpected. Let's go to the phones, though, at 803-0550, the number to get on board here. Got an open line for you there. If you want to wax poetic about how bad the Patriots look, feel free to do that. I'm here for it. Um, but anything else on your mind, along with today's topic, which is, with the exception of the Bills and the Chiefs, who are your contenders and pretenders in the NFL through the league's first seven weeks of the regular season? So we go to John, who is hanging out on Niagara Street. What do you got for us, John? Hey, how y'all doing, uh, Chris, Steve? We're doing well, doing thanks. Good. What do you got for us? Good. Um, I'm glad I got on. Uh, first of all, about uh, the pretenders and contenders, yeah. I'm going to tell you, after watching this season, I don't see nobody but the Chiefs and the Bills. And stuff. It's, those are the tops. Everybody else is pretenders to me. Yeah, it's kind of them and everybody else. Right? Even even Philly, uh, they're undefeated at six six and zero. Oh. Really, we'll see them in the Super Bowl. They're not even in my conference. Mm-hmm. Right, I got you. You know, you know. So uh, Philly is doing good. I've been watching. They're doing good. I got family in Philly. They always texting me, and oh, it's a, a bunch of crap with them. But it's cool. But listen, though, I want to ask you about because uh, we need um, a running back. To just get us one yard where we got, you know, instead of using Josh, because Josh is the best, you know, uh, runner when it comes to getting that one yard. And I was thinking about, even though he had problems in the past, he looked like he turned his life around. Um, Kareem Hunt, the guy runs with power. The guy got strong legs. He never, unless somebody blows up the play in the backfield, he's always getting you a yard or two. He never goes backwards. You know, and I think we're getting for a late round, sixth, maybe seventh rounder. You yeah, know, I just want you. I just want you guys to you know think you know, yeah. what you think about that. Oh, and one last thing. I don't know what, but I was dreaming last night. This is funny, and I was dreaming about um, for short yardage because Dustin not used to be a quarterback. How about putting everybody in tight, spreading Josh Allen to the far right, and have somebody like um, have two defensive linemen like Oliver carrying the ball, and his lead blocker is somebody like um, Settle. Something oh, like wow. that, you know. I'm, I, I was just thinking about that play. I said, I think that'll work because Oliver is big, athletic. All Settle got to do is just hit somebody. Just follow Settle, hit somebody. Yeah, you got a like full you. house yeah. backfield it's, play. Okay. Yeah, I get you. And, and, I, and a lot of people ask that too because it seems basic that if you know if you got a big fullback and you need a yard, just hand it to the big fullback, or hand it to a big defensive lineman who just lines up at fullback and just hand him the football. The the problem is, and it it looks easy and it sounds simple. Uh, and, and in a lot of respects, when it works, it works and it looks simple. The problem is this. Somebody's got to hand the guy the ball, and the guy's got to have hands good enough to carry it and not fumble it. Uh, ball security is a big issue, particularly for big guys. Um, just because, the, you know, when they tuck it away, they're not used to holding it and being you know, cognizant of having the ball in their hands every moment of the play. They'll They'll lose track of it or they'll – start to think about jumping over the pile and not holding the ball. They just don't have the habit of protecting a football that they're holding. But I'm with you. I've been, you know, Justin Zimmer, who's on the practice squad for the Bills, is a guy who can really run fast, has speed of an offensive player, but he weighs, you know, almost three Bills. So, you know, why not use him in one of those capacities? I I see that uh, as well. I mean, I – you know, I've lobbied for it, but when you start doing that, 
you got to put in more plays than just short yardage plays where you give it to a big guy and he does it because you become predictable mm-hmm. when you do that. And it may work for a couple of plays or a couple of games in a row, and that sounds great, but then when it doesn't work, what are you going to do? Because teams, there's no magic elixir. I mean, teams will defend it. As for Kareem Hunt, he is rumored to be on the trade block by the Browns. They're looking to move him and cornerback Greedy Williams before the trade deadline. Kareem Hunt, I believe, is in the final year of his contract, if I remember correctly. He is still a a more than capable back. I, I just wonder if that is truly what the Bills are looking to add, you know, prior to the deadline, if they're looking to add anything. They are a healthier bunch right now. I think they discovered something in the run game in Kansas City. That team ran for 101 yards, Steve, in the first half against the Chiefs. Now, the Chiefs, to a certain extent, were begging them to run the football. But when they did, they did with great success. I mean, Devin Singletary averaged 7.6 yards a carry in the first half against Kansas City. Right. I'm wondering if this is where we kind of see the run game gain some traction and effectiveness and consistency where if they have to turn to it, it's functional, it's productive, and it works. And I, I'm, I'm thinking of what offensive coordinator Ken Dorsey said to the media just yesterday in his latest press conference where he said, we want to be able to attack a defense in any way we see fit. There are inevitably going to be given weeks where they go against a good pass defense that might reduce the effectiveness of Buffalo's passing game to a point where they say, well, maybe let's turn to this. Well, if you don't have any faith in your run game, you're not going to turn to it. You're just going to do your best in the passing game. I think they want to be good in the running game. So if they have to turn to it, if they have to lean on it, even for a quarter and a half of a football game, off they go. Did they find that in week six against the Chiefs? We'll see. If it's anything close to what we saw the last six weeks of the season last year rolling into the playoffs where they looked like an unstoppable force, whether they ran it or threw it, I'm on board. Well, here's, here's what I think, and I, and I agree with you. The last part of that season last year when Devin Singletary was starting to make hay in the running game, I think one of the reasons for that is because Josh and Steph Diggs and Gabe David and, and the crew with – uh, back yes, last year was Beasley and McKenzie. Emmanuel and guys, Sanders. Emmanuel Sanders. They were so dangerous. They were like the Kansas City Chiefs dangerous. And we here in Buffalo know we ain't worried. We hope they run the football, even if they're good at it uh, in Kansas City, because they're, they're so dynamic. That's where the Bills are. They're, where they were at the end of last year. I think when teams begin to realize the Bills are that dynamic again in their passing game, they will start to loosen up on the running game because they will be so focused on keeping a lid on on Gabe Davis and Steph Diggs and crew. And I think that's a little bit of what happened at the end of last year, too. Josh was playing at such a high level, you know, after that the New England game in New England where they thumped him and then came here in the playoffs and were perfect. And at the end of the season when they were playing these teams, I mean, they, they were just unstoppable. So teams were... They really didn't care if the Bills were running the ball for seven yards a play. At least they weren't throwing it for 15 yards a play. Yeah. So I think there was a little bit of that going on. And if the Bills can get back to that, or even so, then maybe the Chiefs, that's what the Chiefs were doing in the first half of the game two weeks ago. Uh, we're going to start seeing the running game be more prominent, if not more 
more productive, if not more prominent, yeah. I would say. Break time for us here, but more of your phone calls coming your way. So if you're on hold, stay there. We will get to you when we return here on One Bills Live, presented by Kaleida Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. All right, welcome back to One Bills Live. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. And before we get back to the phone calls, we did want to pass along some unfortunate news. A member of the Bills coaching alumni family uh, unfortunately passed away over the weekend. It was former Bills defensive coordinator Walt Corey, uh, who was a coordinator on the defensive side of the football. Many of you remember him as the swizzle stick chewing guy on the sidelines during the Bills' heyday years. Uh, coached under Marv Levy as defensive coordinator from 1987 to 1994 and. Steve obviously knew him since he was on the coaching staff when Steve was playing. Yeah, and I ran across Walt um, in the years following um, my retirement and his retirement. And uh, he was a, a resident of Kansas City. He was drafted when the Kansas City Chiefs were the Dallas Texans. Yeah. He made the move with them from Dallas all the way up to Kansas City and was part of the roster for the Chiefs in Super Bowl One. Um, so uh, Walt was a – I, I considered him a friend. And uh, – Saddened to hear about it. I've gotten texts from uh, a lot of the old guys that, uh, you know, uh, the five presidents text loop, obviously, and some of the old coaches that um, I still keep in touch with. Uh, saddened to hear about it. Um, he was a wonderful guy, and he was you know, a quintessential guy. He always had that, as you mentioned, the swizzle stick uh, that he chewed on out of nervous. It was a nervous habit of his. But uh, he was a defensive coordinator through all the Super Bowl years, and and was a real asset to the organization, and, and he's a good friend to all of us. So it's saddened to hear about Walt. I believe he was 84. 84, yeah. When he passed this over this last week. Lived a good life, 27-year coaching veteran. Pretty darn good player, you know, during his AFL days. Was an AFL All-Star in 1963 and won two F AFL titles with the Texans and the Chiefs in 62 in 66, and played in the first Super Bowl. Yeah, played in Super Bowl one, coached in Super Bowls 25, 6, 7, and 8. Um, so he was uh, – and, he, and he, he lost all of them. So still uh, proof, proof in the pudding that you can uh, not win every game you play in and uh, still, still have, have a fruitful pretty, career. Have a, have a great career and a, win a wonderful life as well. So yeah. our condolences to his family, his friends, and uh, – um, Always a part of Bill's history. Yeah, no question about it. We uh, shift gears now and get back to the phones at 803-0550, 1-888-550-2550. And we go to Rick in Lancaster, who's been waiting patiently. What do you have for us, Rick? Hey, guys, how are you? I appreciate the time. Um, and my condolences to the Corey family. Great guy on the sidelines, man. Yeah. Um, Listen, you guys just touched on, on something the last caller did, and it kind of made my blood pressure go off. Um, that's actually why I was calling. This want for a running back. We drafted a running back that we can't even find ways to use, and that's why I was calling because, to me, there's got to be something that doesn't equal up here. And I'm talking about James Cook. I watched this guy his whole career at Georgia. I see this guy shredding an Alabama defense that was laden with NFL talent. So there, you know, it's not like it's he's doing it against Vanderbilt, which he did. But they they killed Vanderbilt or they killed Bama 
with, you know, wheel routes, different pitches, some trap stuff. And we just can't seem to find ways to use this guy. And it's baffling to me. And it gets me to, could it be, I'm not insinuating anything. So maybe it's coming out wrong. Does he not understand the playbook? Because a guy with that much talent, you would think could, could have made the difference in the Dolphins game could have possibly opened up a bigger lead on the Chiefs, could have opened up, you know, and not waited to the last second to beat the Ravens. This is a guy that could be crucial to beating some teams down the stretch and in the playoffs, and we don't seem to have a game plan how to insert this guy and use this guy to the win. Yeah, understood, Rick. Good, uh, thanks for the it's call. It's a good call, Rick, and it's a good question. My advice for people who, and like myself, who have been looking for James Cook to emerge as more and to have a bigger role, get more opportunities, be on the field more. I think one of the things – there's a couple of things that work here. One is I think he's got to earn it, and he's got to prove that he's a better option in any situation than Devin Singletary. And, and, and he is – let's face it, he was active against the Kansas City Chiefs and Zach Moss was not. Um, it's begun to happen already. I, my advice, too, is to be patient. Um, it's hard to bust in – and, and carve yourself out a big role in an offense that is already as prolific as the Buffalo Bills offense is. They'll give him opportunities, uh, and they'll continue to give him more and more opportunities as he earns them. But my advice for everybody looking for James Cook and wondering where the running backs are at is just to be patient. Uh, he's going to get better. He's getting better. He's earning more trust from the coaching staff. And let's face it, he stumbled right out of the blocks early on uh, in, the, in the season. And he's working his way back from that. And now he seems to be as a more than just a passing thought, uh, which is where you need to see him be get, getting to. Yeah, and I'm I'm just going to throw this in there too. I'm not disputing your point, Rick, but at Georgia he was part of a committee backfield as well. He was not a full time. You're the man. Carry the load. Tote the mail back. He was there with a couple other guys, including Zamir White, another guy whose name's escaping me right now. So he was part of a committee backfield there. His talent was most certainly on display. Bills made him a second-round pick because of it. I think he will be a difference maker for this team in the backfield, but he's always going to be part of a committee. He's never going to be a full-time guy, at least as I see it. And here's part two of what I'm going to say as far as why he hasn't gotten more opportunities on the field. It's not that he's not talented. It's not that he doesn't know the offense. It's that under this regime – It has been proven time and time and time again that you have to earn time on the field. I'll give you another example, not even on the same side of the ball. Matt Milano came in in 2017 as a fifth-round draft choice, and I could tell in training camp he was one of the two best linebackers on the roster. He didn't get on the field as a full-time starter until week 10. They had uh, Ramon Humber here, a veteran linebacker who they trusted, and he was the starter. Matt Milano was a better linebacker than him as a rookie 18 ways to Sunday. He didn't start full-time until week 10. They make these players earn it. They don't hand anybody anything. I'm confident that come the second half of the season, We're going to be seeing more and more and more of James Cook 
because of the talent he presents, but he's got to earn that uh, time. And, and you, I think he's in the process of earning. Yeah, exactly. I think he's. You, we've seen him crescendo to this point. He started out, fumbled his – well publicized. He fumbled his first touch in the NFL, and there were other guy, people who said he did, everybody did the same thing in their first game. You know, everybody from Christian McCaffrey and, and uh, a lot of, you know, LaDainian Thomas and all those players. There's a ton of guys who did that, but he's earning his way back from that. And I'll say this too. You're always going to be part of a rotation here in Buffalo, and, and, and as good as uh, James Cook might be or might get to be, if Von Miller comes to this team and is really willing to rotate, nobody else is going to squawk about having other to share time with anybody else. I mean, that's just the way it's going to be. And they're going to make him earn it. And he took a couple of steps back once the regular season started, and he's earning his way back to it. But we see now he's the guy that's on the field. He's the guy that's active, not Zach Moss, and it didn't start out that way. So it's slowly changing. But I think the players realize that when they earn it, they'll get it. Ask Christian Benford. A guy who's sixth-round draft pick with a first-round draft pick at his position, he out-earned him, and he's on the field. That speaks like a loudspeaker. Yeah, and I think at the same time, there are fans that are probably like, well, how come he gets to start right away at the beginning of the season and James Cook doesn't? He never took a step backwards. <clears throat> he never took a step backwards, number one. Number two, they didn't have anybody else to line up over there that they liked better than him. Yeah. They've got other options at running back right there now. There were other guys rotating in there at the beginning of the season. Yes. There were other guys in. All those guys in, in training camp all got their reps, and Benford earned his better than anybody else. It's just that simple. If you earn it quickly, you'll you, be on the field. That's right. If it takes you a little bit longer, it's going to take you longer to earn it and, and get on the field. And He's getting about 10 mm-hmm. snaps a game. And that's also why some guys sit down because they lose it. And it's, it could be anybody. We watched Mitch Moore sit an extra game as the most expensive center in the league. He sat for a week when he was healthy. That's, that's what this coaching staff does. They don't take any – you don't half-weigh anything here. And if you give even a hint that you are, they'll put somebody else in the game. Yeah. They don't hesitate. All right, got to take a break. When we come back, we've got some NFL trade news to pass along, along with the outcome of just what was going on between that official and Mike Evans at the end of the Bucks carolina game last Sunday. We also have Rob Domofsky, Packers beat reporter for ESPN.com, coming your way in hour number three, along with more of your phone calls. Stay tuned. It's One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. This is Buffalo Bills Radio. Live, presented by Kaleida Health. Hour number two. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you. One Bills Live is the show. Welcome to this Tuesday edition. And in hour number two, we're going to have Rob Demosky from ESPN.com join us in a little bit. Get us up to speed on the Packers, as that's what he does on a daily basis, covering that team since 97. But before we do that, we are going to take some more of your phone calls as we are asking you through the first seven weeks of the NFL season, 
who are your contenders and pretenders besides the Chiefs and the Bills? So if you've got a ready list, give us a call, 803-0550. Got an open line for you there. One bit of NFL news to pass along. Looking to shore up their run defense, the Dallas Cowboys have acquired defensive tackle Jonathan Hankins and a 2024 seventh-round pick from the Las Vegas Raiders for a 2023 sixth-round pick. So the Dallas defense gets richer. Uh, They're a great pass-rushing defense. They do want to do a little bit better against the run where they ranked 20th in the league, especially knowing they may very well have to get past the number one running team in football if they want to get to the Super Bowl, who's, oh, by the way, in their own division in the Philadelphia Eagles. So, so Cowboys get Hankins and a six? They get Hankins a and a seven. Hankins and a in seven exchange for, for a six. six. I got you. Okay. Also, we've gotten to the bottom of what the heck Mike Evans was doing with the officials after Sunday's game against the Panthers. As we suspected, it might have been like a phone number kind of thing, and that's exactly what it was. Mike Evans, along with one of the officials, they're both from the state of Texas. They both and the, went to Texas A&M. And the official mentioned to him that he's familiar with a golf pro who could provide golf lessons. He said, Mike, just give me your phone number. I have not get in touch with you. And that's what that was. So uh, much ado about nothing there uh, because officials as well as NFL employees are prohibited from soliciting autographs from players, let alone memorabilia of any kind. So – there was some suspicion that that might have been the case there, but nothing doing. It was purely innocent in nature. Uh, phone number for a golf pro. Providing a phone number so a golf pro could call him. So there you go. Good idea. I don't know. Maybe Mike Evans is expecting to be on the golf course in January. Who knows? Right. Yeah, right. <laughs> hey! Zing! Uh, but let's get back to the phones at 803-0550, to join us. Open line for you there. But we begin uh, hour number two with Mark in Jersey City. What's going on, Mark? What do you got for us? Uh, how you doing, Chris? How you doing? Doing Steve? good. Good. Uh, isn't it? Isn't it? It's, it's nice to see the Patriots have their own JP Lossman versus Trent Edwards. Um, <laughs> I had a little story told to me last night by you know a, a very close, a very trusted friend. How the how you know, Chris? You know how unprofessional the Patriots press box can be. I'm sure over the years. It, the, it can uh, be. You know, uh, yeah, a lot of whole lot of pom poms were flying for you know Zappy coming in and throwing his two touchdowns, and it quickly see that was the delicious note is it got dangled in front of them and quickly yanked away. Right. <laughs> it made it even more. It made it even better that they got to like feel it and then oh nope not for you and that was the arrogance of Bill Belichick on full display. He treated that game last night like a preseason game. They're terrible. We're gonna just. Did he bop our quarterbacks in and out because we're that good and I am who I am? And we don't, you know, and that and that's what he gets. He got struck on his snout for being an arrogant you-know-what. Yeah, a little, little bit of uh, hubris given to him. Uh, thanks for the call, Mark. Appreciate it. I, I will say this. The other thing that we didn't even discuss about this, Steve, there was there were some conflicting stories about the game plan. Belichick said after the game, that it was their plan all along to play both quarterbacks in this game last night against the Bears. Everybody was on the same page. It was well communicated to everybody that would be involved that this is what was going to happen. The, the New England media goes to a number of players in the locker room, and some of them said they had no idea that was part of the plan going into the game, yeah, that, including yeah. Ramondre Stevenson, one of the running backs. 
Yeah, the only people that really need to know that were the two quarterbacks. You really don't want to open that conversation up with the general roster. I, that doesn't surprise me. Yeah. The guys involved knew it was going to happen. The New England media was making a big deal of it. That's that's that doesn't that makes sense to me. You don't <laughs> you don't want the you don't want to tell your defensive lineman that you're going to be swapping quarterbacks out or you're going to try this out or whatever. It it's a it becomes a distraction. Uh it's certainly and Belichick, Zappi, and Mac Jones, none of them, and, you know, Judge, Patricia, none of those people over there know this is the optimal place they want to be in where they got these quarterbacks they don't know who to play or aren't having a situation where they, they're playing different guys. They know it's not the best, but they're trying to muddle through it as best they can. They're not going to include the running backs in the decision-making or have, you know, no. they, so – I'm sure Zappi and Mac Jones knew that they were going to be switched in and out. And they were probably told by Belichick, said, don't tell anybody, mm. meaning teammates either. Just keep this in-house. We're just going to do this. Uh, I've heard also our good friend, friend of the show, Tom Curran, was also said that he felt like, like Mac Jones talked his way into starting. You know, that Mac Jones went to Bill and said, I'm 100% healthy. Give me a chance to do this, the kind of thing. And Bill said, listen, I don't know. I go, we're going to play Zappi. Zappi's ready. Zappi probably took the, the lion's share of the reps maybe in practice. I don't know. And Bill said, all right, I'll tell you what. You can start the game, but we're going to make a switch at some point, and we'll pick when it is. Yeah. So, and that's what happened. And he got three series. <clears throat> he got three series, and then it ended with an interception. And that was the perfect stopping point for him. Oof. And then, and it looked brilliant for about five minutes because the Patriots came out and took the lead. They were down 10 nothing. They came back with Bailey Zappi, scored two touchdowns. One was free, but they scored two touchdowns. And it looked like, hey, Bill Belichick is a brilliant guy, right? And then, and then it blew up. That was my favorite part of the whole dang thing. People had signs. Oh, yeah. It's Zappi hour. Oh, my God. Oh, yeah. All these fans had signs. They're going ballistic for Zappy. They score some points. They're losing their minds. And then it, the bottom falls out of the whole thing. Oh, yeah. it was so delicious. Yeah. So, so delicious. I, I don't know if the bottom's going to stay out of it, but that's where they are Well, today. they might win their next three games when it goes yeah. Jets and Jets twice and some oh, and the Colts with Colts. Sam Ellinger. Uh, we want to turn now, though, to ESPN.com's Rob Domofsky who joins us to talk Green Bay Packers, Buffalo's next opponent. All right, Rob, so let's begin here. Obviously, Aaron Rodgers said what he said after the last game. It's caught the attention of Bills fans. He believes, for some reason, that the, the, the nationally televised game against one of the best teams in the AFC is just the tonic that the Green Bay Packers need. I don't know if I agree with him even though he knows a whole lot more about football than I do. What exactly, in your mind, was he kind of getting at there? Give us some context, if you could. Well, first of all, one, it might have been wishful thinking, right? Like trying to speak something into existence because they just <laughs> lost their third game in a row. And, and, and two, it's a little bit of, I don't want to say the contrarian approach, but like, look, you know, pressure's off now maybe a little bit. Like we, we just lost three games where we were favored in every game, uh, most of them by a touchdown or more. 
And, you know, we lost those. And so no one's going to give us a chance um, against, uh, you know, maybe the best team in football or at least the best team in the AFC. So pressure's off us, right? I remember um, Mike McCarthy one time, there was a similar situation. Um, and, and he took like the approach, um, I think it was they were going to New England and playing the year they won the Super Bowl 2010. They were going to New England. Rodgers had just gotten concussed the week before wasn't going to play Matt Flynn was going to start and he said hey look we're nobody's underdog like they use these like you know just these these little phrases and you know play on words just to try to maybe turn things around a little bit and I, I think that's what Rodgers was trying to do from a mentality standpoint now X's and O's is a whole other story yeah and that was, that's the next question why do they need to turn it around I mean where how'd they get into this spot yeah yeah, Steve, they're, um, they don't have a deep threat. I mean, like, they just don't throw the ball down the field at all. Uh, the, look at, like, those air yard stats. I think Rodgers throws, like, I don't know, 80% of his passes within a couple yards of the line of scrimmage. I mean, it's like they just, they just don't throw the ball down the field. So that allows teams to just load up uh, on the run, which their two running backs are probably their most dynamic players, Aaron Jones and A.J. Dillon. But when everyone's loading up to stop the run, it's awfully hard to get them going. They tried with Aaron Jones last week. He, he had a bunch of touches, and it just did not turn into production just because of the way teams are playing them um, because they know there's there's just no deep threat. Where would you assess the development of the receiving core? There's obviously a lot of youth there. I guess Sammy yeah. Watkins looks like he's going to be back in the lineup this week, it appears. Where – where would you assess yeah. the development of all that youth at this point? Because we're almost at midseason now. Right. It, it's certainly been slower than I think they wanted, than a lot of people expected. There, there was a play. This is the, this is sums up their offense in a nutshell with the young receivers. Go back and look. There was a play at the end of the first quarter of the game this past Sunday at Washington. It's one of those staple plays that the Packers have run forever. It's a bootleg play action, roll out to the right. Romeo Dobbs, the rookie, um, is is in the slot on the right side, and when you're a quarterback's rolling out, right, you're supposed to follow the, the the quarterback to go that way. Well, Romeo Dobbs breaks it upfield the opposite way, and Rodgers, of course, doesn't think that's the way he's going, so he throws it to the right corner, deep, you know, a deep post or a deep corner route, and it just hits the ground because there's nobody there because Dobbs went inside instead of outside and and like if there's one play that sums up where they're at with these guys that's it and and you know Matt LaFleur told us he's like look that's just a young guy who didn't read the situation right um on paper he might have been you know doing this the right way but there's two offenses and Rodgers has always said it there's our offense on paper and then there's our offense when things kind of break down and it's sort of the offense off the paper and that's where they're just not connected and what do you think the next step is? And it, it, are they? Is it personnel? And obviously, they would love to have a speed, deep threat, that kind of thing. But for the time being, uh, where is their bread and butter? You know, going to help them win games? Yeah, it almost has to be on defense because they've had so much. They have so much talent on this defense. They have seven first round picks. They've got four guys that are what you would consider high priced free agents. And up until the other day when they finally got a pick six from Devondre Campbell, they hadn't made a play on defense at all. And there's just too much talent on that defensive side of the ball for that to happen. Now, is that the start of, you know, some big plays on defense and, and can kind of carry this team a little bit, you know, we'll see, but 
Um, I mean, through seven games, this team has two interceptions, and that's just not that's just not good enough when your offense is struggling. To what do you attribute that? Is it because they're getting behind on the scoreboard and the other team can just control clock and run the football and they're really not trying to test what is seen as a good pass defense? I mean, they're I mean, they're right there at the top of the league yeah. against the pass, but you know, <laughs> they're not stopping yeah. the run. What 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 are the dynamics there? Are they getting behind and that's why teams are running on them? They don't have to throw. A little bit of that, and then there's they've had this all kinds of communication issues. I mean, watch them pre-snap. I mean, there's guys turning around, looking both ways. Hey, do you have him? Do you have him? Who's got this gap? And it's just, there's just way too much of that. And to me, that has to come down to coaching, right? I mean, when guys yeah. aren't sure where they're supposed to be when the call comes in, um, you know, that that's a problem in terms of preparation. So, uh, you know, those are the that's what's killed them more than you know. Forget the statistics. I know what the the, the running game said they, they're giving up a ton of yardage their pass defense has not been very good I know the yardage look good but there's just way too many guys running open they can't cover a crossing route to save their lives and um, there's just been wide open guys after one after another and then even this past week you know they finally decided to put Jair Alexander their best corner on another team's best receiver uh, they did it two weeks ago against the Jets and Jair Alexander did a really good job against Garrett Wilson and then this past week against Terry McLaurin, McLaurin dominated that matchup. So it comes down to a little bit of execution, too. Give us an idea about now that the the Patriots dropped one to the Bears last night, so the, now the pack is tied with Chicago. They're both chasing Minnesota. How likely is it, and you being in that division – what? How do you see the Minnesota Vikings and the grip they've got? Is it just? I mean, are they playing that well, or have they been the beneficiary of some some lucky breaks? How do How do you see the division shaking out the rest of the way? I think why Minnesota Steve is on top of this division is because they've got two things going for them on offense. They've got an incredible playmaker in Justin Jefferson, and they can run the football. Like that's a pretty lethal combination. They have more talent offensively than any team in that division. My, my thing with them was, you know, Kirk Cousins has always been a little bit up and down. And then you had the coaching change, um, which you just never know how that's going to go, right? Because this team had a ton of talent. And they went from a defensive coach in Mike Zimmer, who was a heck of a defensive coach. I mean, if you ask Aaron Rodgers, who the hardest guy that he went up against, he'd probably say Zimmer. But now they've established an offensive mentality there uh, while still being, you know, they're now running the Vic Fangio defense uh, at Donatel, uh, who comes from that that tree. So they've got, they still have the solid defense, but they have so much explosiveness on offense with Thielen and Jefferson and and Dalvin Cook that they're awfully hard to stop. And and you know that game early in the year, week one, when the Packers couldn't cover Justin Jefferson, uh, was just sort of a little bit of a, a preview of I think what was to come in this division. We saw the video clips of Aaron on the field mouthing to the sideline, what are we doing? Um, we've seen his frustration you know, written all over his face. He's chosen to, I think, kind of per- parse his words carefully through the course of the first half of the season here. We know they're 10.5-point underdogs in Buffalo on Sunday night, Rob. If they get embarrassed here, is like – Volcan- Rogers Volcano watch on? Like, are you just expecting this thing to finally blow at some point if it doesn't get turned around soon? Where where are we there on the on the volcano watch with Rogers? 
Yeah, you never really know. I mean, he he um, he never says anything without thinking it through. Like you can guarantee that. Like everything he when he walks to the podium or steps in front of his locker with us on Wednesdays, there's nothing off the cuff. Like he he knows what he what message he wants to deliver, and you know he'll take little subtle shots here and there. But ultimately, um, you know, I think his patience are, is wearing thin. Um, he has said early in the year that we've got to be patient with these young guys, patient with, you know, some of the new pieces on offense. But he even said, he goes, you can only be patient for so long. And, you know, we could be approaching that that standpoint. Um, you know, they've been in situations like this before. 2016, they were four and six, and it just really didn't look like they had a lot going. And that's famously when Rodgers said that the week after they lost um, at Washington, actually, on a night game. They were going to Philly the next week, and he said, "Look, I think we can run the table." And they went. They won six in a row to finish ten and six, and they won two playoff games to get to the NFC Championship game. I'm not saying this team is going to do that, but I do think Rodgers understands that. You know, in, in a lot of cases, it may be more how you're playing at the end than you are playing at the beginning. I mean, case in point, they won 13 games each of the last three years and wanted to get them. You know, they they didn't get past the NFC Championship game. You know, the year they won the Super Bowl, they were eight and six, had to win their last two games. People forget this. It was a three-way tie, I believe, between Tampa, the Packers, and the Giants. And the Packers won, got into the playoffs as a wild card, the last wild card on a tiebreaker, um, and then won the Super Bowl. So um, I do think that, you know, he he is has that perspective, at least, that might keep him, you know, on a little bit more of an even keel, even if they, you know, it doesn't go well this week. What has the message been from Matt LaFleur? You know, it's sort of the same thing with him. He, um, I think players like him because he always says it starts with me. Like he takes responsibility. He almost never throws a player under the bus. Like I think I can count maybe on one hand in three and a half years, the time where he sort of blamed someone other than himself and the coaching staff for what has happened. Now, first three years, there wasn't a lot of blame to go around when you go 13 and three, 13 and three and 13 and four. So this is a little bit uncharted territory for him. Um, but I would say he's been fairly even keeled. Um, you know, for him, it's all about football. Like it's it's not there. You know, he, he doesn't play mental games. He doesn't you know, he's not a big motivational guy to him. It's all ball and execution and game planning and things like that. So I, I think that's where his focus has been. Rob, appreciate the time as always. Uh, I'm sure we'll see you up here at the end of the week. Uh, thanks for the time and the insight. We appreciate it. Yeah, looking forward to getting back to Buffalo. We don't get to, you know, only get up there <laughs> once every eight years. So yeah, always yeah. looking forward to it. All right, All should right. be good. That's Rob Demosky, Packers beat reporter for ESPN.com. We will take a break here. Be back with more on One Pills Live presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Welcome back. It's One Bills Live, Tuesday edition. Chris Brown, Steve Tasker with you as usual. And we wanted to get over to the tweet sheet where we were asking you today, after the Bills and Chiefs, who are the NFL contenders and pretenders through the first seven weeks of this NFL season? Tweet sheet, as always, brought to you by Corrigan Moving Systems, the official equipment moving company of your Buffalo Bills. Chris leads us off and says, I'm not sold on any AFC contender outside of the Bills and Chiefs, but on the NFC side, I think the Eagles, Vikings, and Seahawks are contenders. Pretenders include the Ravens and Titans for the AFC 
and the Cowboys and 49ers for the NFC. Any of those teams catch your ear there, Steve, in yeah. terms of pretenders or contenders? I, I you want to refute anything? Then? Well, I, I get where he's saying. Um, I don't know, but I don't think the Ravens are pretenders. I think they've got something under the hood. The Niners, maybe. I think Especially, the, the Niners are limited with Garoppolo, Exactly. Right? Exactly. Um, Here's a question. Vikings and Seahawks. I'm not convinced the Seahawks have enough under the hood to kind of get down the stretch. Yeah, Kenneth Walker's a pretty impressive rookie running back. I'll yeah. say that. And the Vikings, I got to, I got to be honest, I don't know that much about how the Vikings are doing except Kirk Cousins. I know their their defense is playing really well as well. So, uh, Vikings, yeah, in the NFC, I don't, I think everybody's a little bit enamored with the Eagles because everybody feels good about you know Eagles fans being rewarded and all you know how tough it is to play in Philly and all that. I, I think that's a, little, I, I want to see more of the Eagles before I'm going to crown them in the nfc but there's they're obviously contenders yeah. we mentioned how we feel the 49ers are limited by garoppolo do you think the cowboys are limited by dak prescott supposed you know he's back in the lineup now are they limited by him i don't think cow the cowboys weapons are on the outside or as good as what I, I'm kind of down on those guys a little bit too. Okay. So I think maybe that, but I and I'm, I agree with you. I think people are thinking a whole lot differently about Dak Prescott <clears throat> now than they were two or three years ago. Right, their run game is giving them a chance in every game. They're big and physical up front. They're going to get better against the run with this the, the addition of the guy from uh, Hankins, yeah, Hankins from from the Raiders. Um, I, their pass the rush Cowboys, is all world. Yeah, I, I like I like the. Listen, the the Dolph, the Cowboys wideouts are good, and their quarterback is good. That's it. You know, I, I think you can beat them with a solid effort with a good team. I think a good team beats that team. Okay. Um, so yeah, I think the Dallas Cowboys are. They're limited, but maybe not just a quarterback. They can still win. Uh, I'm not a fan of their head coach. Mm-hmm. And that. In the end, that's what's going to hold them up, okay. in my opinion. Mike on the tweet sheet says, Bengals, Vikings, Eagles, Cowboys are contenders. Everyone else pretenders after seven weeks. You think the Bengals kind of right the ship and get rolling here? Well, they got it right this last week, but yeah. they were. <laughs> but Jamar Chase had a hamstring injury. They may not have him for a little bit. Yeah, I get all. I here's here's the problem with the with the Bengals as as I see it. Yeah, they they got it together and everybody's really happy for them. They played the Falcons, who were in the midst of a rebuilding year. Yeah. They lost to the Steelers, lost to the Cowboys, and they lost to the Ravens. Um, they beat the Jets, Dolphins, Saints, and Falcons. I, I there's every chance that the Cincinnati Bengals could be frauds. And I've told you, I don't think they're going anywhere this year. So they're four and three. Good for them. They got to play Cleveland next, and I, Cleveland's got a good front. And if Joe Hurt, if Joe Burrow holds on to the ball like he did against the Falcons, he's going to get he's going to get driven into the ground. I mean that I you can't do that. So we'll see. They I think they're a five. I think they're an eight and nine, nine and eight team. Okay. Let me submit to you Minnesota. You tell me if you think they passed the litmus test. They are 5-1, and one, as we know. Right. Here are their victories. <laughs> Green Bay, Detroit, New Orleans, Chicago, Miami. 
Their one Green loss Bay, is to Detroit. Philadelphia. Green Bay, Detroit. New Orleans, who's down this year. I have a quarterback mess there. Chicago, Miami. And they have not beaten any one of those teams with the exception of Green Bay, who always lays an egg in week one by more than eight points. They won by eight, one by seven, one by three, one by four. Those are not impressive victories for me. Yeah, I'm. They have Arizona coming out of the bye this week, followed by Washington. They're probably going to win both of those games. They could be coming in here to Buffalo with a seven and one record. And then they play Buffalo Dallas back to back. You're right. They barely beat the Dolphins. I mean, they barely beat the Bears. They barely beat the Saints. Mm-hmm. They barely beat the Lions. They crushed Green Bay on opening day and they lost big to Philly. They might be a little bit of a paper tiger. Yeah, they might be. That's it's an interesting thought. If they uh, let's see what they do against the Cardinals and the Commanders. Yeah, the Cardinals aren't anybody, right? And the Commanders are a dumpster fire. Right. Well, the, the Commanders beat Green Bay. There's a lot of trash in this league. You know what I mean? Like I, I get that. There is at, on any, any given week. But let's face it. The Bills were as, are as good as any team in the league. And they, got, and they were last year, too. And they, they laid an egg Jacksonville. in Jacksonville. Yeah. It's a roller coaster week-to-week league. And as good as some of these teams look, they can look putrid the next week. <laughs> they, I mean, they can absolutely yeah. reek within five days of playing an outstanding football game. And we're seeing that all the time now. I mean, the, uh, the, who was it we were just talking about? The Bengals. Yeah. The, you know, the, How about the three wins for the Patriots? Patriots have three wins. Right. They've Against. beaten no one. Right. Right. That's exactly right. Yeah. So, like, the Bengals, let's see. Here we go. They lost the Steelers, the Cowboys, the Ravens. So, that's pre- that, those are pretty good teams. Even the Steelers yeah. on opening day, you think they got a little perk, you know, and they barely lost. And they beat the Jets and the Dolphins, neither of whom are held in high regard by – this panel, yeah, and New Orleans Saints and the Falcons. Oh, yeah, who knows? I, that's so crazy. How can they? Yeah, I think I think the Bengals. Like I said, I think they're a, a five hundred club. Yeah. They're a five hundred ball club, and you know they'll be in it. They'll be in the conversation till late in the year, and then fizzle, fizzle. Jack respectfully disagrees. He says we can't sleep on Cincy. After a slow start, Burrow is waking up with those weapons. They're scary. Got to watch the Ravens because of Jackson and his ability to run and keep games close. It's time to sleep on the L.A. Chargers. Herbert is talented, but they have no killer instinct. I don't know if a more accurate comment has ever been made about the Los Angeles Chargers. Steve, I am convinced. Watching that team play, guys on the bench are probably talking more about what they're doing after the game than the actual game. That's what it feels like to me. They're disinterested, they look like. They're, like, they're more worried about the club they're going to hit after the game, it seems, the way they play. It's like, this. oh, yeah, we got this game. I'd like to show out and play well, but, you know, if it doesn't happen, it doesn't happen. Like, it's not life or death for them. Yeah, the check's going to clear no matter what for them, yeah, right? So I, and I'll say this, too, in, in defense of our argument, my argument that your quarterback has to be a runner, Justin Herbert, now he's an athlete, he's a good runner. He doesn't run enough. 
He throws from the pocket, and I'm telling you, there's too many times, and too many, by too many, it could be three in a game or four in a game, no more than five plays in a game where your quarterback needs to snap off a scramble and get a first down. Justin Fields did it last night. There's five plays in that game last night. If he doesn't make them, they lose in a game they won by 19 or 18, whatever it was. If he doesn't make those five plays, mm-hmm. the, they're in a dogfight. But he makes them, and they win easily. Yeah. Herbert doesn't do that ever. You never see that. you got to be able to do that. And I, So I'm with you. Yeah. I, I, you know my list. The Chargers, the Bears, the Lions, and the Bengals. <laughs> That's the list. If they catch lightning in a bottle, it's going to be gone as fast as it gets there. Yeah. And uh, the light and the Bengals caught lightning last year. It's gone, baby. Josh on the tweet seat says other contenders so far: Eagles, Giants. They close out. They grind out close wins. Bengals, Dolphins. Pretenders: Cowboys, Titans, Ravens, Rams, Cardinals, Packers. To be to be determined. Seahawks, Chargers, Vikings, Falcons, Bucks. Wow, he's named half the league here. Uh, yeah, he did. <clears throat> That's amazing. Uh, Ron says. Except for the Chiefs and Bills, the Jets and Dolphins are pretenders. I wouldn't sleep on the Titans and Bengals. The Titans just hang around, Steve. Every time you want to kick dirt on the Titans, they just kind of hang around. It's annoying. I told you. (laughs) They got one of the smartest coaches in the league. Except when it comes to analytics, which he does not subscribe to, apparently. Well, I think sometimes you have to be a human being, too. And I think sometimes you send a message when you go for it or don't go for it. And it's and it to, and when you do that, it's about the future reps, not that rep right there uh, so much. Okay. Um, I think he does a, a little bit of that. I think he goes because I think he says – he thinks it says something – and he's probably right in my opinion. It says something to his guys when he goes for it, and it says something to him when he doesn't. You know that kind of thing, and okay. I'm not saying like all analytics, like whether he throws or pass, throws or runs, or this kind of stuff. But when you go like, when you say analytics these days, it's all about fourth down decisions, right? And that's what we're we big kinda, part of. That's it. what we go to. Um, I think the guy gets it as much as any coach in the league. But you're right, and I think because of that, he gets his team to hang around, just like you said. They're never. It's hard to kick dirt on them. Yeah. They're hard to kick dirt on for sure, yeah. and it's annoying. we got to yeah. take a break here because when we come back, Aaron Rodgers has already addressed the media, and he's coming out with some doozies right from the jump. We'll tell you what he said about this upcoming matchup with the Bills next here on One Bills Live, presented by Collider Health. It's Buffalo Bills Radio. Buffalo Bills and Ad Pro Sports are teaming up to award varsity head football coaches with the Coach of the Week Award. Week 8 winners in the Buffalo Region Section 6, Albion head coach David Scripp, after he helped rally his Purple Eagles to a 26-20 win over arch-rival Medina. It was the 124th time the two teams have played, playing every year since 1898. In Section 5, Rochester Region Coach of the Week is U-Prep's Isaiah Young after he led his Griffins to a 30-6 win over Rush Henrietta. U-Prep finished the regular season 8-0 and and won the regular season title in Class AA. Each Coach of the Week winner will receive a $1,000 grant from the Buffalo Bills and Ad Pro Sports. As we said, 
Aaron Rodgers, appearing on the Pat McAfee Show, has already addressed the Bills-Packers matchup. And when asked about the opponent they faced, the Buffalo Bills, (laughs) Aaron Rodgers said, quote, great quarterback, great defense, very well coached, a lot of weapons, Jake Kumaro, a lot going for them. Aaron Rodgers is still dinging up the Packers front office for letting Jake Kumaro go two years ago. (laughs) I love it. Then concerning his own team, he said, quote, guys who are making too many mistakes shouldn't be playing. Got to start cutting some reps. Maybe guys who aren't playing, maybe give them a chance. Yeah, I mean, I. It's not wrong there. No, he's not. And that's kind of, uh, you know, football 101, team 101. Um, if guys aren't getting it done, they start, a, they start asking questions about them to themselves and to the coaches. And the coaches ask questions of themselves and to each other. They try and find answers, and there's a lot of things you can do. People, personnel, play selection, concepts, this, that, and the other, trying to get guys to do what they do best. Sooner or later, it comes down to, hey, we got, we got to get somebody else on the game. Well, on we the already field. heard Rodgers two weeks ago saying, well, you know, maybe with a lot of young guys, we got to simplify things, chuck it down to the cob. See, they started trying. Out, they're still they trying. did that, and they're still making mistakes. Yes, yes. So now it's time for people to sit down. I don't yeah. blame them. Don't and it looks either. like Sammy Watkins will be back in the lineup this week. I mean, we heard Rob Domofsky say you got guys running wrong routes on some of their trademark plays. Watkins coming back to Buffalo. How about that? We'll see what happens there. I, I think I'll he be was here with the see, Chiefs in 2020. I don't, know that they'll, I don't even know that they'll even be a blip on the radar. When May not be. Yeah. ESPN's Field Yates is on the show tomorrow. We'll see you at 1.